The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect that of the staff and management of Good Karma Brands, but are the sole responsibility of the hosts and guests of this particular show. America may have many, many days, but they will be full of trouble. There will be no rest. There will be no tranquility in this country until the nation comes to terms with our problem. Bringing you social and political commentary from his mouth to your ears. Breaking down the issues which matter to you. You are not put here to be a white man's footstool. You are put here to represent the very best in God's world. Legendary civil rights icon, the Reverend Jesse Jackson in the studio. Reverend Jackson, how are you? Mr. Reverend, good morning on this chilly Milwaukee morning. And I am pleased to have one of the founding members of the Black Panther Party, Chairman Bobby Seal. Mr. Chairman, how are you this morning? Good morning. I'm doing just fine. Thank you. From Mr. Eric Holder. Mr. Holder, so good to see you. How are you? Well, I'm fine, man. How you been? It's been a long time. Haven't seen you for a while. The Dr. Cornell West. Dr. West, how are you, sir? My dear brother, you're so kind, you're so generous, so man, but I salute you and the work that you were doing there. Doing a magnificent job there, Wisconsin. Stream live on 1017thetruth.com. Call in with your questions or comments. 833-212-1017. Join us on social media at 1017thetruth. It may not be what you expect to hear, but I will definitely give you what you need to know. Are you ready for the truth? Truth! You can't handle the truth! Now, live from the American Family Insurance Studio at the Avenue in the heart of downtown Milwaukee, here is Sherwin Hughes. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Today is Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. Please excuse me for being out of breath. I lost my my jack to my headphones, so I had to go and backtrack because where I normally prepare in the morning, they're installing these uh, soundproofing panels in our studio. And so I tried to prepare in there while the guys are working and installing all the stuff. So I had to leave. I couldn't do it. There's too many people. And they're walking around asking me questions. Couldn't do it. I need solitude when I'm prepared. I need time to meditate, you see. So then I go up to the, we have like a, a common area on our second level here at Good Karma Brands. It's adjacent to the kitchen. Hell, it was worse in there. 
It's people walking around, people walking around with clipboards and computers. Somebody's making coffee. Somebody's talking to this person. But here's the thing. We work with people I ain't never seen before. I've never seen 90% of the people that I saw walking past Zach. I don't know none of them folks. But what's crazy is they all know me. So that didn't work. Too many people. And then we have these, these little private rooms, you see. And they're named after the different cities in which we have operations. So you got Los Angeles, you got Beaver Dam, you got Chicago. How ironic. I was in the Chicago room this morning doing my preparations. And we're going to talk about Chicago because Lori Lightfoot, who I'll be honest with you, her rough and tough pull no punches style as a very small lesbian who wears ill-fitting men's suits. She is out as mayor of Chicago. She didn't even advance to the general election and her defeat was resounding. We're going to talk about that. I really thought that she was going to be the next coming of urban mayors in the city of Milwaukee. However, the people in Chicago said enough, enough with her brashness, enough with her boldness, because you can have all of those personality traits because those should be, you know, the the type of qualities that an executive of a big city needs to have before her was Rahm Emanuel, just very decisive just very bold in their decision making and their plans for the city. They need to be leaders. They need to be visionaries and they have to be tough and you can be all of those things. But if you don't tackle the issues that the people of the city deem most important, don't matter how rough and tough and how tumble you are. None of that matters. Doesn't matter if you don't, if you pull punches or not. If you don't get crime under control, if you don't begin to see or show improvements rather to the quality of life for residents in that city, they will oust you. African-American incumbents in executive positions have a tough time getting reelected. I can't necessarily speak for Chicago, but I can talk about that phenomenon here in Milwaukee, here in Wisconsin, for whatever reason. It is very difficult to get African-Americans in the most important executive positions reelected. I can start with a lieutenant governor. Now, Mandela Barnes did not run for reelection as lieutenant governor. But again, he didn't get a second term as lieutenant governor. That is something that we got to point out. He ran for the U.S. Senate. He lost one term lieutenant governor replaced by a Caucasian woman with a Hispanic last name. OK, Sarah Rodriguez is our new lieutenant governor. Some of y'all didn't even know that. Marvin Pratt was acting mayor in the city of Milwaukee in 2004, just like Cavalier Johnson was acting mayor. Now, Cavalier Johnson did get elected to finish Tom Barrett's last two years. But keep in mind, this is not Chevy Johnson's full term. He is he got elected. And first of all, he ran against Bob Donovan, which nobody wanted Bob Donovan except for whatever legislative district he just won. Somewhere on the southwest side. Do y'all remember Lee Holloway? May he rest in peace. When Scott Walker became governor of the state of Wisconsin, Lee Holloway became the acting county executive. Lee Holloway tried to run for a full four-year term. He lost. So we have an issue with African Americans who find themselves in executive positions because they 
arrived there by the default setting, like Lee Holloway when Scott Walker left, because him being chairman of the county board at the time, he became the county executive, ran for a full four-year term, and he lost. Here's another example of an African-American executive recently that only served a single term, Ernell Lucas, one-term sheriff. Now, again, he ran for mayor, but he did not get reelected to a second term as the executive law enforcement CEO of Milwaukee County. Will what happened in Chicago potentially happen here in the city of Milwaukee? Because Cavalier Johnson is going to have a primary. I believe that people are going to be dissatisfied with his leadership. People are dissatisfied with the crime. And just wait, just wait. The summer hasn't even hit yet. And I don't know if he has established himself as the kind of tough on crime mayor that you absolutely have to be. And I say that because the we don't get the optics of the mayor standing with the police chief. Ed Flynn and Tom there did not get along. They did not agree, but they stood shoulder to shoulder. They did a variety of different press conferences together to show the city that Tom Barrett at least took policing seriously. He took crime seriously. What Tom Barrett did about it, I guess that remains to be seen. But when you don't see your mayor and your police chief side by side in lockstep, that's a problem, especially as crime is going to continue to escalate in this city. Because I don't know if we've put together the necessary pieces and or building blocks to remedy or reduce the crime that we know is coming this summer. And it's not just going to be centralized in neighborhoods. It's going to be everywhere. The reckless driving is going to be everywhere. Cars are going to get stolen and broken into in Bayview. They're going to get broken and stolen into on Lake Drive. They're going to get uh, broken into and stolen downtown. Do we have a new security protocol for the Deer District? We should have been had metal detectors at every single egress point of the Deer District. And I don't know if we have that. This has got to be concerning for our mayor who will be running for his own four year term. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves and then we'll be asking it of the mayor because that primary is in less than a year. FYI. Whatever we have received from the current incumbent, the current mayor, do we want a full four years of that? Because don't expect if he gets a full four years that we're going to get something totally new and something totally different and something totally innovative. What the what the mayor is doing right now is showing us what we would get if we gave him a full four years. And I'm just not entirely sure what that is. Now, there are some political ambitions, policy ambitions that the mayor has, of course, trying to get either a sales tax increase or more shared revenue for the city of Milwaukee so we can have more money that we send to Madison here so we can take care of things like public safety, et cetera, et cetera. And if that fails, then that will be a policy failure of the mayor. Like Cavalier Johnson needs something big and something bold, and it's not developing downtown. It is not. That is not for people that live in neighborhoods, north side, south side, wherever, Developing downtown does not necessarily improve their quality of life or their conditions in their specific neighborhoods. Having a nice downtown is very important. And the trickle down effect of having increased property values and increased property taxes downtown, giving us more money for our city budget. Like that's all well and good. But how does that impact people that live in neighborhoods? Eventually, it potentially could, but not in the short term, because what people in neighborhoods are going to be dealing with is more reckless driving, more homicides. Jose Perez lost his niece to homicide in the city. It's no secret that Jose Perez is going to run for mayor in the year 2024. Right. I don't know what his prospects are. I don't know how much money he can raise, but I do know this. 
Jose Perez will have Latinos and Hispanics endorsing him. Cavalier Johnson will not have African-Americans endorsing and supporting him. Think about that for a second. We got a black mayor in the city who did, who ran against Bob Donovan, who nobody wanted. Nobody wanted Bob Donovan. But Cavalier Johnson was able to get elected. Now, again, he ran against Bob Donovan. So you got to consider who he ran against. He ran against the easiest person to beat. I could have beat Bob Donovan. In fact, I think I did beat Bob Donovan, quite honestly. I beat him on accident. But how are we going to get our first African-American mayor? I'm just being objective here. These are just the facts. Get emotional if you want to. Cavalier Johnson needs to deal with the fact that he has zero support from African-American elected officials. No members of the Common Council, which is almost half black, endorsed or supported his campaign. In fact, Ashanti Hamilton endorsed Bob Donovan, not because Bob Donovan had a chance to win. And it was just to throw shade at Cavalier Johnson. So the question is this. What has Cavalier Johnson done between when he was elected and right now and when he's going to run for reelection less than a year from now, 11 months from now? What has he done to ingratiate himself to the black community? And what has he done to try and get more support from his African-American colleagues in the Milwaukee Common Council? And I cannot answer that question because if I can't answer that question, how do you think the voters are going to respond? Because when crime continues to escalate and it will and you have a mayor who does not stand in lockstep with the chief. So first order of business. Common Council President's niece gets murdered. The ma- immediately the mayor does a press conference with the peace, police chief. Right immediately. First thing that they need to do is show the city of Milwaukee that we have solidarity behind one of our elected officials that is dealing with a tragic tragic loss. I don't know if that press conference took place. That should have been the first order of business where the mayor is stomping his fist and stomping his feet and pounding his fist on that podium saying this is enough. We got to stop. Jeff Norman, what are you going to talk to us, Jeff Norman? And then the mayor calls up the police chief. That hasn't happened. And now the window on that has closed. We're going to talk about Lori Lightfoot and her rise to power and her fall from grace and what this could mean for other big city mayors that thought that their positions were secure. You can have all of the bluster. You can have all of the personality. You can have all of the boldness you want. But if you are not improving the quality of life for people in neighborhoods and if you are not at least showing that you're really serious about escalating crime rates, whether it be petty or major, I think the voters have every right to go in a new direction. What do you think? 833-212-1017-833-212-1017. The truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back. It's the truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. There was a, a mystery that's surrounding the mayor and some of us political folks to really pay attention to stuff like the inside baseball of Milwaukee politics, because what becomes public and what you guys see on the news is only the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. And so just gauging this new mayor, our Milwaukee mayor, Cavalier Johnson, gauging his political calculus, why he does what he does, why he shows up where he shows up. I mean, it was good to see him at a, a rally supporting Ukraine made no sense to me. Like, is this a man who's desperate to find a base? Like, how many Ukrainians are there in the city 
to where he needed to appear and give a speech at a rally for the, and that's great, like to have a stance on international affairs. But we got some domestic issues right here in our own city. I just I find it unusual, you know, of all the things that are happening in this city, or more importantly, all the stuff that is not happening. We need bold leadership here. We need somebody that's going to yell and scream. Somebody who's just as angry and just as frustrated as we are. Not to mention his colleague or former colleague in the Common Council, Jose Perez, lost his niece due to a homicide in the city in which Cavalier Johnson is mayor. Now, look, I know I cannot blame all the crime on the mayor, but what the mayor can do is show emotion. He can show some kind of motivation to want to fix, to want to stop, to try something creative, to figure out new solutions to think outside of the box. And so we were wondering, a couple of us inside political folk, who was this man listening to? And why are they not telling him to ingratiate himself into the black community? Because when he was running and he was saying, well, I, you know, single mom, I was raised by a single mother and we moved around a lot. Like, that's all a very, very good story. But brother, where's your friends from that era that can vouch for you and back you up? Where's your connection to black businesses and black organizations and black nonprofits and the black church, the ever present black church? I would argue that there are black pastors in this city that have infinitely more political influence than the current mayor, but which I understand though, because these pastors have been talking to multiple generations of black Milwaukeeans. They have been a part of communities. They have been a part of people's homes and a part of people's families since before Cavalier Johnson was even born. But Chevy, you need those people. So if something happens, if there's a scandal, if there's something that makes you look politically weak, at least you have a base of people that know you, that love you and that will defend you. So we're wondering who is the mayor listening to where he is not spending all of his days and nights in the heart of the black community, talking to folks, listening to folks, building relationships, building connections, building connections and more importantly, making promises. We accept promises from black executives as black folks. We don't always accept promises from white executives because white folks will say anything to us, anything to us, as long as they couch it in something that sounds kind of leftist and kind of liberal. They'll tell us anything. They'll promise us anything. And we are not inclined to listen to them because you got to keep this in mind about black communities and black culture. We've been lied to by white folks for our entire lives. In fact, they have done such a good job of it that we just come to expect it. But we would much rather have a promise made to us by a black executive because we can hold him or her much more accountable. Cavalier Johnson ain't even making us no promises. Or it could even be, I promise to try real hard. Like, I promise, give me a year, you're going to see something. We won't even question what it is. We'll be like, okay, in a year, okay, we'll give you a year. Give me a year, black Milwaukee. I'm going to make something. I'll, I'll build a statue. Do something. Promise something. Deliver on something, even if it's small. And so we're wondering, who is the man listening to? Who are his political advisors? And I think we figured it out. Cavalier Johnson has not established himself as being a separate identity from Tom Barrett. And the people that Cavalier Johnson is still listening to are all Barrett people. He is the black extension of Tom Barrett. I'm not necessarily saying that that's a bad thing, but at some point, this current mayor, the city is his now. It's on his watch that all of these things are happening, both the good and the bad. The good could be a bunch of downtown stuff. The bad is literally everything else. 
And the optics of him not being with the police chief, when you have a high crime environment with more crimes to come, I'm not talking about like petty stuff. I'm talking about murder, property crime, carjackings. You as an executive need to show the people in an anti-police environment that you support law enforcement. Even if we have a complicated relationship with law enforcement, black voters want to know that our mayor is just as concerned as the citizenry. Black people, that's one thing. Black voters are a whole nother universe. Cavalier Johnson kept a lot of the core Tom Barrett people, a lot of the core Tom Barrett advisors, and they are advising Cavalier Johnson. And here's the thing. They don't know how to speak to the black community. They don't know know how Tom Barrett never really had to because Tom Barrett had been around for so damn long. He had deep relationships with black people, with black voters, with black neighborhoods and more importantly, black pastors. They opened their churches up to Tom Barrett. Tom Barrett rarely got denied access to a black church. In fact, he exploited that he the fact that he had a relationship with black churches. He used to do this thing called the ceasefire Sabbath. Y'all remember the ceasefire Sabbath? And I suppose if Cavalier Johnson is not going to have a separate political identity from Tom Barrett, at least continue Tom Barrett's legacy of the ceasefire Sabbath. Now, let me be clear. The ceasefire Sabbath was just PR. That's it. But it was good PR because it showed Tom Barrett going to a whole bunch of churches, but especially the black ones. Talking to parishioners saying, hey, people that go to church, you have a lot of influence in your homes. You got a lot of influence on your block. Talk to the young people. Start having conversations with the young folks so we can kind of get a hold on this crime thing. It's a very grassroots thing to do. And all the black pastors would open their churches up to time when he had his ceasefire Sabbath. It was one Sunday, and I think it was on the heels of the summer, so maybe it was in April, maybe it was in May. Tom Bear would go to all the churches and just say a bunch of stuff to all the parishioners saying, hey, I'm concerned like you are. Let's take this time to really reflect and also think about what we can do as a community to get our arms wrapped around this crime situation. I'm just as worried as you are. Cavalier Johnson don't do that. There are some days where I think the insiders, the city hall insiders who are giving political advisement to the mayor, want him to fail. I think they want him to fail. I think they wanted to feel good about the fact that we did for a period of time, got an African-American mayor, but then the advisement that they give him is either self-serving or it's intentionally poor and erroneous. So he does not get reelected. I really, I'm serious. Now I believe that Cavalier Johnson needs to be wearing an Afro wig and a daishiki everywhere he goes. That's what he needs to do. He needs a separate identity because I don't think the people that are advising him are allowing him to have a separate identity. Let me give you an example. It might be a bad one, but it's an example. Nonetheless, Tierman Spencer has a separate identity from Grant Langley. Now, you may not like Tierman Spencer's identity, but the people in his office didn't like it either. That's why I think some of those allegations and all the stuff that went on in office started to surface. That's why the turnover was so high, because they're dealing with a a duly elected executive in Tierman Spencer, the Milwaukee city attorney who we talked to last week, that has a totally separate identity and philosophy from the previous city attorney who sat in that office for almost 40 years. And so the first thing people are going to do is they're going to quit. They're going to leave. 
They're not going to be under the leadership of this African-American man that they think he doesn't know what he's doing, even though the people in the city of Milwaukee had the opportunity to reelect Grant Langley. We didn't. And so they wanted to tarnish his image. And with a black man, it doesn't take much to tarnish our image because people are always skeptical of our leadership anyway, because there's just so few African-Americans in executive leadership positions, save for David Crowley. How David Crowley has escaped all of the noise and the nonsense. He's just a nice guy. David Crowley is a better embodiment of a certain personality trait of Tom Barrett than I think Cavalier Johnson is. David Crowley is always smiling. He's living his best life. He's county executive. The county is doing very county things. They're not really making a lot of noise. There's not a lot of controversy there. I mean, there's some stuff with the sheriff's department, but that's kind of separate. But the county executive, David Crowley, has kind of risen above like he's not being dragged down in some of the most pressing issues that are taking place, even though he is county executive, of all 19 municipalities. It seems like the city of Milwaukee is falling squarely on Cavalier Johnson, even though David Crowley is county executive. I think we respect the fact that he has 18 other municipalities and 18 other mayors and 18 other common councils that he has to deal with as county executive. So David Crowley, he's just happy. He's got his little security detail. He rides around in suburban. They park wherever they want to. He gets out. He's smiling. Might be raining, might be snowing, might be Cats and dogs falling out the sky in 17 tornado. David Crowley. Hey, everybody. Hey, how you doing? All right. Now, watch out for the cats and dogs falling out the sky. I'm the county executive. Damn it. OK, then. Now, hey, how your mom and them doing? All right, then. Good to see you. Good to see you. Let's see what we got here. 833-212-1017. What do you say, Carrie? Who's, they're all black. That's a misnomer sometimes. So you think because David Crowley is black. Well, they're, they're all black. Got to be careful with that. Oh, it, oh, it does. It. He's more authentic. Gotcha. I gotcha. I, you know, I think, I don't know if, I don't want y'all to think I'm beating up on the mayor, but I am a defender and a lover of this city. And maybe that's my problem. I had a chance to leave this old podunk, crime-ridden, ignorant little town called Milwaukee, but it kept calling me back. I don't know what it is about this little junky little town. No, Carrie, it's not the women. There's women everywhere. I don't know what, I, I feel like Milwaukee is, it's like a real ugly dog that nobody wants to adopt, but there's something about it that's very endearing. You're like a real ugly dog where the hair is matted. It's missing teeth and a tongue of the dog always is hanging out. And it, you look at the dog like, damn, that's an ugly dog. But you like, you warm up to it. It's very sweet and affectionate. Now it'll, it'll bite you too, but it's, just, it's so ugly and nobody wants it. So I was like, I got to stay in Milwaukee, take care of this damn ugly dog. That is our city. So I just I, I love it here. I don't know why I love it. Maybe I shouldn't love it. Maybe if I moved somewhere else some years ago, I would have loved that city that I moved to. But I'm here and I love it. And so I speak with great passion about this town because we have potential. The best potential that we have in this city is not being unleashed because it is ridden with quality of life issues and crime. We need something aggressive in this town. We don't just need passive leadership. We need someone's going to say, this is what we're going to do. 
And that's how it's going to be. I want to hear some of that from some damn body because I'm tired of it being Lena. It's, it's Lena all the time. Lena's the one who has the big, bold ideas and trying to get us to think outside the box. We need more people to do that. In fact, that should be the political theme of black folk who represent neighborhoods like the little small tight knit communities. They need to be fierce defenders of those people and want to create a better life for them. Cause all those folks ain't going downtown. All those folks ain't riding a streetcar. All them folks can't afford to go to a damn bucks game. You know how much a bucks game costs? Cost $30 million to go to a bucks game. If you go to enough bucks games, they just give you a part of the arena because you paid so much money, you basically own a part of it. So where the city is flourishing the most, it's catering to people who are the smallest of population. So if you live downtown, if you're a young person downtown, college degree, decent little job, working for, I don't know, working for Baird, working for Northwestern Mutual, take the streetcar where you go, do your damn grocery shopping at the public market. You love downtown. Oh, it's fantastic. You live down there, you recreate down there, you go to Summerfest, you hang out in the Third Ward, you go to Walker's Point, you go to Bayview, you do all the things. You love it. Problem is, if you're 18 and 29, you live downtown, you love downtown, you don't vote. That's number one. Number two, downtown residents, there's not enough of them to make a dent in an election. There's only 2,000 people to live downtown. It seems like it would be more. It's not. 594,000 people, just under 600,000 people live in the city. 2,000 of them live downtown. So even if they are very happy and very content with what's going on in their neighborhood, now think of downtown as an actual neighborhood and look how it has flourished. Look how all the neighborhoods surrounding it have suffered. Save for Walker's Point and areas near downtown, but once you go deep north, look at the northwest side. Contrast the areas surrounding Northridge. Contrast the 9th Aldermanic District with the 4th Aldermanic District. Just go ahead and contrast. One looks like it was built for millionaires. The other, I mean, looks like a series of housing tenements in the same city. Need some bold leadership here. Maybe we'll get it. Maybe we won't. You're listening to The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on the new 1017 The Truth. Take a break. Come back. Read a couple of your text messages on the other side. I'll be right back. This is The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. Welcome back. <laughs> 414795 says, Your last line to Dion yesterday was a classic. I don't hang out with felons. Was that mean? Like, Dion is always trying to kick it. Like, I can't, I don't do that. My time is always accounted for. I always got to be making the most of my time because I've had more sunsets than I'm going to have sunrises in my life. So I got to make the most of my time. I prioritize my time very specifically. Like I just don't, I just don't like sit around like, Oh, I think I'll see who texted me and see who inboxed me. Some random person that I should go hang out with. Scott says he has not did a damn thing. He's on TV a lot. Talking about Cavalier Johnson. Grant says, Professor Hughes, your extra trek back to retrieve your headphones made your monologue sound 
as if you're on an elliptical or a treadmill while rendering it. You don't know how far I had to go to get my, what do you call this? Like a headphone, my jack, my cord for my headphones. Because I don't use these studio headphones. I don't, no, no, I don't use community property. I got my own headphones, so I left my, my headphones have a case. And I left the case in one of the, the preparation room that I was in this morning. Ronnie says... But wouldn't the mayor have been criticized if he'd shown more concern for the death of a council member's family than for an average citizen? He doesn't really show concern for average citizen because we don't expect a mayor to do a press conference standing shoulder to shoulder with the police chief when they're just random homicide. No, no. But at some point, a line has to be drawn to where the mayor. Here's what should have happened. If I was advising the mayor, because all the members of the Common Council are mourning with Jose Perez. All of them are. All of them are. Here's what I would have advised the mayor. Have his chief of staff call all of the members of the Common Council. Have a, a reinvigorated pledge to work together and let the public see that these members of the common council, there's only 12 of them now because he got three common council elections coming up in April, a renewed commitment. Cause when, when one of your own, when people that make laws for the city and create the budgets that fund the police department, when they lose a close family member to homicide, it's a whole different story. And I'm not trying to minimize other people that have lost loved ones on these streets, but this is different. This is the person who is next in line to be mayor. If something happens to Cavalier Johnson, if he leaves, if he takes another job, Jose Perez is mayor. And so what should have happened is this should come from the mayor's office, individual telephone calls. Hey, I'm mourning with you. You know, Jose Perez is a colleague of mine. Yeah, he's common council president. But when I was an alder person, he was a colleague of mine. Let's let's all stand together on the steps of City Hall and show our not just commitment to the people of this city, but show support to the Perez family and then have some police officers there, too. And let the people in the city of Milwaukee see that it's a new day, because as this weather gets warmer, we have to be much more proactive on the crime that we know is going to escalate when the weather gets hot. This would have been a perfect opportunity, and I don't think it would have been considered um, political grandstanding because it would be sincere. They're all mourning the loss of Jose Perez's niece. But that's that's a bridge too damn far now. It is. And it was an opportunity to hit the reset button because I think we've just been dealing with stuff as it comes. I think we're just very reactionary in this city. In fact, it's so bad that we're just blaming judges and bail. We got to go much more upstream. Like we can't get mad at the tail end of the criminal justice system and use that as the reason why crime is escalating. Now, we know there probably should be some kind of bail reform, but I, I tend to stay away from that issue because a lot of people that get arrested are innocent. And if you don't have a whole bunch of money, you're an innocent person sitting in jail. So if your bail is fifty, seventy eight, ninety eight thousand dollars and you're innocent, you're going to sit in jail as an innocent person. Because you don't have enough money to get yourself out. So I'm bail reform is tricky. And plus, it's something the Republicans are trying to do. And they're always underhanded in their political calculus anyway. I don't know if the city of Milwaukee sees its leaders as unified. And so another thing is because Cavalier Johnson doesn't, to the best of my knowledge, does not have any support from the black alders. This could have been a way to have everybody get on the same page a renewed and reinvigorated spirit. Like we got to take this stuff seriously. We do. 
I know people in neighborhoods and communities take it very seriously. But we need to see that same level of seriousness from the people that we put in office. And here's the thing. We know that they ultimately can't stop one person person from shooting another person. But we want to know that they are consumed by it. It is what motivates them to wake up in the morning to have more days of no violence than days of murder and homicides and reckless driving and car thefts. That is preventing this city from realizing its full potential. I think that neighborhoods that have so much potential yet to be unleashed is bogged down with crime or the fear of it. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Omar says. Sherwin, 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 great champion for the homosexual cause. G-L-A-A-D must be proud. Not the woman carry, trust me. I don't know what the hell that means. What's G-L-A-A-D? So I'm a champion for the homosexual cause? Oh, all right. Why not? Do I get an award or a medal? I don't even need a medal. I'll put it this way, Omar. I'm a champion for anybody who gets disrespected. I'm a champion for anybody who gets looked down upon. Period. Because it's the same oppressor. It's the same system that oppresses them, that oppresses us. What I'm not interested in is emulating what too many people think black liberation is. Black liberation is our ability to oppress somebody else. I'm not interested in that. I'm not one of those people who's linking up with white nationalists and white supremacists because they hate transgender people and black people hate transgender people. So we are not linking up with our opposition because we hate a particular group. Black folks, some, some, not all are too interested in wanting to hurt and harm other people thinking that brings us something or brings us power, or brings us self-esteem or brings us closer to salvation. No, it makes us worse than the people that we say we hate. I ain't going to be one of them. Nicole says, I knew when Milwaukee failed to elect Senator Lena Taylor as the mayor, they were going to regret it. I'm saying, quote, they, because I promised myself that I was going to move if she wasn't elected. And I did. Well, that's sad. Sad to see you go. Every ignorant reason I heard for not voting for Senator Taylor is the very reason why we need her as mayor. She's too loud. Blah, blah, blah. Milwaukee, you wish you had her now, don't you? Shaking my damn head. Yeah, I guess hindsight is always twenty twenty. How would the city be different if... Here, I'll tell you one way it'd be different. The imprints of Tom Barrett and his staff and his advisors and all the people that kind of guided his politics would all be gone. Either Lena would have fired them or they would have quit because they would not want to work for her. So that's what you have to deal with. So in a city like this that has had the same type of leadership since the 1800 for the most part. And Cavalier Johnson is still the same type of leadership because he does not have his own identity that is separate from that of the previous mayor. So the same type of leadership since the 19th century, when a new kind of leadership comes in an African-American, let alone an African-American woman, people panic. They panic because they don't trust us. 
because they know that they have done everything that they can to keep Milwaukeeans, especially black Milwaukeeans, in a subservient position. And so all of a sudden, if one of those gets into the halls of power, they panic and they leave. And so what would happen is Lena would get elected. The Baird people would leave or she would fire them. And then they would say, oh, Lena Taylor can't keep staff. Nobody wants to work with her. She's difficult to work with. See that attitude that she has in her being loud and boisterous. It's hurting the city because nobody wants to work for her. That's a trick that they play. When a black executive or a black person gets elected to a certain position that white folks have always tried to prevent us from being in, the white people quit. They don't stay and say, you know what, let me let me help you. Let me help you transition. Let me let me show you what I've learned in the last 25 years that I've worked in this office under different leaders, under different mayors, under different things. Let me stay for the betterment of the city. I don't believe that those people are there for the betterment of the city. I think they are there to make sure that they maintain the white supremacist power structure that keeps black folks and black neighborhoods empty, empty of promise, empty of optimism and empty of hope. Because you know what I think they want us to do? And Mitt Romney said something about this some years ago when he was running for president. He was like, we're going to make it so bad for the immigrants, they're going to self-deport. We're going to make it so bad that they're just going to want to leave this country. Could y'all imagine somebody somewhere in some dark smoke-filled room planning out the city of Milwaukee, doing urban planning for the next 50 years, which probably doesn't include neighborhoods, but only includes downtown saying we're going to make it so bad. And we are so going to starve neighborhoods of money and resources and hope and optimism that they're just going to want to leave that black folks are going to want to leave Milwaukee. Black folks are going to want to move to Atlanta. Black folks are going to want to move to DC. Black folks are going to want to move to all points in Texas. Haven't you seen that? Hell, I just got a text message five minutes ago from someone that said, I left Milwaukee because Lena didn't get elected. You can make it so bad here that we will just decide to self-deport. And we're doing that because the more of us that self-deport, the weaker our political base as black people get because the people that are leaving and have opportunities in other cities, they are probably voters. They are probably stakeholders. They're probably business owners and entrepreneurs. They're probably property owners. They probably have a little bit of money. They're taking all of that and they probably got a little bit of, of a degree, a little bit of experience, decent little resume. And they're taking all of that, all that brain power, all that knowledge, all that money, all those assets. And they are making another city great. So what is left here in Milwaukee, all the folks that couldn't leave, that can't leave, that are stuck here. And if you just keep going down that path, you just keep doing the same thing. More and more of the black brain trust. The voting base of the black community is going to go be a voting base somewhere else. Now, in the long run, all the black folks that are leaving the Midwest, especially Wisconsin, going down to Texas, eventually will turn Texas blue, which could be good for the future because then you'll have federal policy that could be more aimed toward the African-American community. But that ain't for 25 or 30 years, my boo-boos. 25 or 30 years with the migrations from African-Americans in the Midwest going back down south. And you know it's something strange that black people are returning to the south. We couldn't wait to leave the south. Now the south is more attractive and more hospitable than the north. The truth was sure when he was on the new 1017 FM will be right back. You are listening to The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. Mr. Matthews says, 
What about the incredible number of children who have been shot, even killed in the past week? Where's the community outrage? You know, Mr. Matthews, I think that it's it's similar to well, where's our outrage when there's another mass shooting? It becomes so commonplace. The youth in this city are almost their own unsupervised culture because we talk about them as if they are separate from us. When we have discussions about the youth in this city, we talk about them like they are literally aliens. We talk about them like we aren't their parents, their grandparents and their uncles and their aunties. We need stuff for the youth. Sure. We need more programs for the youth. We talk about them like they have been imported here from Wuhan, China. They're separate. We don't recognize them. We don't know them. They exist on a, you know, in a different place altogether. There's no connection, it seems. We talk about the youth in this city objectively. So so when they get killed, it's almost like oh, it's one of them. Yeah, they are kids. And yeah, that's really, really sad. But it's one of them. Like the 10 year old that killed his mother. Where was the community outrage with that? It was, it was like, wow, that's shocking. It was terrible. And I'm sure we probably talked about it for a day or two. But it's almost like we see the youth as this alien culture that exists and coexists in the city with the adults. We don't really make the connection that those kids that are doing the shooting and getting shot live with adults. It's not like they work. It's not like they have jobs. It's not like they have benefits. It's not like they're members of a union. They are living with adults. And so when we come up with ideas and strategies for the youth, we got to be real clear. We want to do stuff with other people's kids because the people that have and are taking care of these kids have allowed these kids to form their own separate culture. Now, this is why I'm now starting to push back on some of the overreaction we did because of the pandemic. We never should have closed the schools. We shouldn't have closed them. We shouldn't have. If the concern was for the children, I think there was ways in which we could have kept teachers safe. But those kids needed to be in school because new bad habits form. And some of those bad habits are going to be permanent. Because when some parents went back to work, and remember, African-American folk were much more likely to have to go back into work. A lot of black families couldn't work from home because of the jobs that we have and because of the different uh, industries that we're involved in. We had to go back in person. But the kids were out of school, unsupervised, not doing their lessons on Zoom. They were, they were stealing cars for the most part. And the parents were at work because the parents had to go to work. Parents couldn't work remotely. And new bad habits formed where these children for, damn near, what, a year? Were just unsupervised. Parents, adults, guardians were nowhere around because they had to go back to work. That is how the youth, in my opinion, became their own separate culture. Like they grew, they evolved away from their parents being in the home during the day. The kids were at home. The parents were back to work. You probably had situations where you had the 15 year old. The 16 to 17 year old taking care of their two, three and four and five and six year old siblings. Tell me how that ever works out when you got babies raising babies. That's what we used to say about teen pregnancy a long time ago. That's one thing that I guess we've done in this city. We've pretty much eliminated teen pregnancy or it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. Infant mortality is still a problem, though, here in the city. 
Oh, we don't want babies raising babies. Well, what do you think the pandemic did? All the parents had to go back to work. The kids were raising each other because all the elementary school kids, all of them. And these are the least likely people to get sick from COVID. And we kept them out of school. We shouldn't have did that. That was a huge mistake because we are paying for it now. We overreacted to the pandemic. Now, Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI, just came out publicly. And what did he say? He said, China created the virus and escaped from a laboratory. The truth was sure when Hughes will return for hour two.